Pastor Scott and lead pastor of the river and really glad that you're checking out our uh, online podcast and our services and hope that you are blessed by this. Certainly, if you have any questions, if you're wondering about stuff that goes on here or maybe you're checking out our website more and seeing things that you uh, are wondering whether or not you might want to participate in them, feel free. Contact us in the office. Give us a call. Send us an email. Um, we'd love to hear from you. Love to answer any questions that you have. Uh, we hope that you are blessed by what you hear on, on this podcast. We hope that God's Word continues to have power in your life. And we pray that uh, God makes himself known, that you know how much he truly, truly, truly loves you. Thanks for checking us out and uh, enjoy the service. We are in the midst of a series on truth that transforms. And as a community, we believe that transformation comes about in our lives as we submit ourselves to the work of the Holy Spirit because of what Jesus has done through the love of the Father. And so change happens in you and me as we open ourselves to the reality of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives and as we submit to what God is doing. And so as a community, we submit before his word and the Holy Spirit's work that happens as a result of it. And I want to uh, lead us in a reading of Romans 8. Before we do, will you join me in a word of prayer? God, we acknowledge that you are God. You are the one we worship. We thank you for the life that comes about as a result of what Jesus did on the cross. Lord, this morning, we pray that our hearts would be pricked, encouraged, that be, we'd be stirred toward love and good deeds. I pray that uh, we would be open to responding to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Romans 8, starting at verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. And if the Spirit of God lives in you, 
If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not according to the sinful nature. It's not to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him... We cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have a seat. I want to apologize in advance for this sermon because I think it's going to be intensely practical. We have been walking through uh, Paul's theology in Romans. We've learned that we have been bought with the blood of Christ, that our sin has been paid for in full, that in Christ we have been justified. Last week, Scott, Pastor Scott talked about the conflict that we still live with, that sin is still at work in our lives. But Paul starts off in Romans 8 verse 1 and says, therefore, in light of what God has done in Christ, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. I want to do three things this morning. One is remind you of your identity Two, hopefully offer you a little bit of inspiration as you consider what it means to follow the Spirit. And three, end with some instruction about how to do that better. So first, a reminder of your identity. The verse that we have there, verse 1, Paul says, There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Say it with me. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The word for condemnation, if you're into the Greek thing, comes from this Greek word, katakrima. It's where we get our word for crime. And so Paul's saying there is no longer any crime that you are held responsible for. God has set you free. Jesus in John 8 is talking to a group of people and says to them, uh, if the Son sets you free, you are what? You're free indeed. And so the first question that I have for you, before we can talk about life in the Spirit, is just, are you free? Are you free? And what it means to be free is, it means you no longer live with the sin and the guilt and the shame of your, your sinful life. It means your pride is dead. It means you've, you've submitted your life to God. 
It means you're no longer posing or faking. You gave up on that a long time ago because there's nothing there. To be free means you don't submit to what people say about you. You don't identify yourself by what you have, and you certainly don't identify yourself uh, by your old life, by the old mistakes or things that you've done in the past. That is not who you are. Amen? Sorry, I'm preaching a little bit early, but we got to get this. This is our identity. This is who we are as a spirit people. We are a people who have been freed from everything that would prevent us from living in union with God. He did it. He already did it. He already paid the price. There's no point of you continuing to pay it. There's no point of you continuing to to crucify yourself in your own head or crucify your neighbor or crucify your spouse. There's no point for you to continue hurting the people because God in Jesus already did it. He did it so that you could be free and I could be free. Hey, it's not easy to live free. Like Scott talked about last week, there's a sinful nature. It's still there. It's all around us. We live in a world where people don't live necessarily submitted to God. But the invitation of Paul to the people of Rome is to say, hey, you've already been set free. There's no more condemnation. So whatever is preventing you from walking with God fully, it ain't on his part. It's in here and in there. But it's not up there. God in Christ has set us free. Look at what it says in verse 3. This is a little bit of a nuanced understanding of what God did. He condemned what? Verse 3, he condemned sin in sinful man. When I first heard somebody talk about this, it completely changed and like opened up a new cavity of love for people that I had. Because I realized God didn't condemn people. He didn't give up on people. God is opposed to, God is on a war with sin. In Romans 1, it says the wrath of God is being revealed against the sin of humanity. His wrath, his anger is not against you and it's not against, it's against sin. God is at war with anything that prevents people from flourishing. He is at war with anything that prevents people from living in relationship with him. That's his beef. That's what Jesus did on the cross, was remove those barriers. Because sin destroys, sin confuses, sin ruins people's, it twists people's identities of themselves and who they are. Sin and evil are what God is opposed to. Sin and evil is what God stands against. He condemned sin in sinful man. I like what Dallas Willard says about this process of transformation and the process of of even pursuing life with God. He says that God is not looking for a holy place. Scott has done a really nice job and had a really nice analogy last week about pursuing and checking off uh, the boxes of what we're supposed to do, sort of the letter of the law, that being a Christian is about this, 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 and this. And he did a really nice job of saying that that's not what life with God is about. It's not about checking off the boxes. It's not about trying to be more than we are. 
And Willard says it's, he's not looking for a holy place, but places are holy because he's there. God's not looking for you to be holy. He's looking for you to open yourself to his presence in your life. That's how transformation comes. That's how change occurs. That's the truth that sets us free, that when we submit our lives to God and in faith trust where he is leading us, we're changed. It's not by checking the box. It's not by dotting the I or crossing the T. People of the river, do you believe that you are free? That all that's left is to open yourself to the work of the Lord. If you have not yet received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we want to help you do that as a community. We want to see you baptized here. And so come talk to me after the service. If you are in a place where you feel the tug and the nudge and the urge of God to submit your life to him, or maybe you've done it and you want to do it again and submit yourself to him, come do that. Let's do that. That's important work. And as a community, we want to see you baptized into the family of God. Now for those who have, who say, no, I have been set free, look with me at verse 5. A few years ago, I was talking to somebody on a mission trip with our uh, high school students, and we were talking about a work site and um, how this person was planning out the work sites. And this person was doing everything on the job. Like, they were doing all of the work. They were planning the food and the work and just doing way too much. And I said, why don't you let somebody else do this work? Like, why don't you let somebody else plan out the service day? Like, we have like a dozen people um, that help us host our serve. Why don't, you, why don't you invite other people into that? And his answer stuck with me, and I think it has to do with these next verses. He said, I can't find anybody with enough imagination. They're limited in terms of what they think about, in terms of like service to others and to God. And so they end up finding like work that's really lame. <laughs> like it was essentially what he said. There's just a, a fundamental lack of imagination. Or we might say a lack of, of the life of the mind. Listen to what it says in verse 5. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Remember, God is about life. 16 times in this text. There's no punctuation in Greek. So you can't exclamation, 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 emoji with a big smile like this is what I'm trying to communicate, right? That doesn't happen in the Bible. So how you repeat something, if it's really important, is you say it over and over and over and over and over and over and over. There's no texting. 16 times Paul mentions the Spirit and life in the Spirit. And how the spirit brings about life and brings about flourishing. And that when we're submitted to God, it brings about flourishing around us. Life begets life. The spirit begets life in the spirit. God's vision for life, for humanity, it's not limited maybe only by our imagination or lack thereof. But his vision for life is infinite. 
His dream for his people is without limit. We sang the song, the same power that resurrected Christ from the dead lives in us. That's what we sang. Do we believe that? Do you believe that the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead is present with you in your life to face the death that is around you? I love a quote from uh, the 20th century theologian, the German theologian, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He called out this this difference between trying to live in our own power and living by the Spirit. He calls it like this, being a Christian is less about cautiously avoiding sin. It's less about dotting the I's and crossing the T's of, of the law, what I should and should not do. It's less about the shoulds. And it's more about courageously and actively doing God's will. Saying yes to what God is inviting us to. Pursuing his purpose in the world around us. It's less about not doing this and not doing that and more about saying yes to the God who wants to bring life. This week I talked to somebody who's 38 years old, which once sounded super old to me and now sounds less old to me. And... He told me this story, and I heard this story, and I immediately was like, I want to share that with our church, because um, it just like, it was one of those things that just gave me life immediately. It helped me kind of break out of the fear that I tend to, to sort of live with, or the anxiety, or the worry, or the concern about what others might think, or whatever, whatever sort of limiting sinful nature things are still in me. And this person's story was really beautiful. He said, um... Our church, his church was doing a play. I think it's called um, The Scarlet Pimpernel. I don't know what it's about. Does anybody know what that's about? Scarlet Pimpernel? Not The Scarlet Pimple. That's a bad time. I lived that in high school. Right here, man. Just like... But The Scarlet Pimpernel, uh, their church is doing... And they're, they're doing it as an outreach. So they're inviting people from outside the church and inside the church to come act together. And they, sh- they do the lines and, you know, they act. And then they put on a show for like three nights in their community. We have some amazing middle school and high school actors here, by the way. Like people who are at Redlands East Valley and ACA. Just a little shout out to you guys. Um, they're amazing. So this guy um, was like, there's no way I'm trying out for this. He was a theater major in college, which he dropped out of college after two years. So he didn't get his degree. And he never had a leading role in his life. Never had a leading role. Um, And he heard this play was happening. He's like, no way. And his wife is like, you need to do this. He's like, there's no way I'm doing this. It's like 80 pages of lines. He said that that he would have to memorize. And there's no way I'm doing it. And then he had a friend come up to him and say, dude, you need to do this. And um, he's like, no way. And so he went back and forth and back and forth. And, you know, the reason he didn't want to do it, because he was terrified. He's like, I'm afraid, and I'm not going to get up in front of people, let alone my church, and do this play. 
And then he had also this like nagging little thought that but, like maybe it would be awesome and maybe this is actually what I've been created to do. And maybe like even 18 years ago when I bailed out of college, this is kind of what I felt called to, but I was afraid then and maybe I'm still living with that fear. So he went back and forth, back and forth and he said two days before he had made up his mind, I'm not going to do it. And then the day came and his wife said, you're doing this. And so he went (laughs) and he said he stood in front with his, he already kind of shakes a little bit and he stood in front of people and he said they must have thought I had something seriously wrong with me because my manuscript was like shaking. He said it was like you could hear the paper just shaking. And he said, and I read the first part and it went okay. And then I read the next one and I got a little bit more confident. And he said, by the time it came for the song, I just... I just let it go. He's like, I was like, I'm already in now. I just got to go for it. And so he just let him have it. He just sang. And there were people from this local city's acting company. What is it called? The drama something or another? Drama club? I don't know. I'm sorry. But they're like semi-pro actors, right? And they're there. And they're auditioning for this thing. And he gets up and he sings. And then he goes home. And he gets a call the next day. Hey, um, how high can you sing? Like, we, we see that you're a bass. How high can you go? And he goes over to the piano, and he's like, dun, 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 dun. and he says, I can do a whatever note this is. I can do that. And they said, okay. And they called him back the next day. And they said, you have the lead role. You need to start memorizing lines. And he was like, what? And the guy's name is Morgan Freeman. I'm kidding. It's, <laughs> it's not really, but that would be awesome. And he told me this story, and I was, my jaw just dropped. And I was like, this is what it looks like when people aren't afraid. You know, this is what look like, looks like when people walk in, into the destiny that God has sort of marked out for them. And I know, like, the, the, the criticism can be, oh, you're just saying, like, chase your dreams. That's what the world is saying. No, 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 that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying if the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then you don't have anything to be afraid of. There's nothing to fear. Um, I asked a number of people and texted just, hey, what does this look like? How do you actually do this? Paul says 16 times, spirit, spirit, spirit. It's not law. You're not trying to dot I's, cross T's. Live by the spirit. How do you do life by the spirit? So I sent out, I do what everybody does when they're trying to like gather information about the Bible. I sent out a mass text to a bunch of people who I think walk by the spirit and just said, how do you do this in your life? And if you didn't get one, it's not because I don't think you don't walk by the Spirit, okay? Three things that I think help us walk in this way. Notice in verse 9, it says, You, are, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. So you are controlled by the Spirit of God. You're controlled by the same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. That's what Paul says. So the first thing, uh, over and over, what people said was this. They had to still themselves. Number one, still yourself. Somehow, whatever that looks like for you. Maybe that means, like, counterintuitively, you go for a run or a walk with your dog. Or, you know, you go jump in the hot tub or shower, whatever. You, you still yourself. You kind of let the, the voices and all the expectation and everything that prevents you from hearing 
You let all that kind of go for a moment. And you listen. Uh, One person said this. They let their heart hear the tugs and the nudges. I love that. They let their heart hear the tugs and the nudges. After the first service, there was a lady who came up and said, you know, like nine months ago, I started hearing tugs and nudges. And I was scared. She said, but over the last nine months at the school that I teach in, we've started a little Bible club. She said this week there were 18 students there. 18 students at this little Bible club. She said, I was terrified. And what was really scary was when we had to walk through the district stuff, the school district. She said, but it all worked really well. And it might not always work really well, but if God is calling us to it, um, sometimes it just requires us stealing ourselves to hear the tugs and the nudges. Other people just said, hey, pray. You have to pray. Some people said, um, it's really easy. Just stop. Stop whatever you're doing. So number one, be still. Still yourself. Secondly, life in the spirit requires that we submit ourselves to God and to others. Um, many of us have the gift of having married up in the world with people who are just like way awesome. And um, maybe it requires you submitting yourself to them and their wisdom. Or maybe you have a friend who just sees you differently than you dare see yourself. And so you just stop and listen to them. One person said, I wake up with a propensity to do what is wrong. I say to God, here we go again. I need you, Lord. They open themselves and they submit. They stop and they say, God, use me. Another person said, um, God's not to be treated like a genie, uh, and yet there is a, a space where I need to acknowledge that it's his will and not mine. Your will be done, Lord. Uh, this person said, I ask advice of people who know better than I. They were talking about their spouse, actually, when they said that. Um, and so I just try to, you know, make it a little neater and say, I listen to my spouse. But we are a part of a, a spirit people, And so we're not doing these things on our own. If all of a sudden I had this idea that I've been called since I was in first grade to be in in the major leagues, you guys hopefully would be like, hey, you know, I want you to pray about that a little bit more. Because that's not what I'm seeing. Maybe the Wiffle Ball World Series is like... But we're a part of a spirit people, a people who are being led by the king of kings. And we're submitted to one another. Even as we're trying to follow him. Lastly, last little bit of instruction and encouragement. Life in the spirit. Uh, when God calls, when you respond and hear those tugs and nudges and you've submitted yourself to those around you. you submitted yourself to him. Do it. See it through. Whatever that thing is, maybe it's as simple as saying thank you to somebody close to you or thank you to your boss. Maybe it's not simple and requires significant life change. Maybe it's saying no to something that forever has led to your death and destruction, but you keep returning to it like a dog to its vomit. Not my words, the Bible's. You keep going back to this thing, even though it leads you down a path that you know is going nowhere. 
Maybe it's jealousy, envy, discord, strife. And God's just inviting you to, to give him up. Just do it. Just do it. One person wrote, I asked them, come up with 10 words or fewer. And they said, listen, 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 listen. Obey, 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 obey. Obey, 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 obey. I said, that's really only two words. Another person said, and I put this up here because I think I need some help interpreting exactly what it means. Double down or let it ride. Let it ride. I think that means like you just do it. Right? I don't know. Poker players, you can tell me afterwards exactly what that means. Um, This process is not difficult. One person texted and said, it's not difficult. It's just really hard. Yeah? It's not difficult to understand or to know what God is doing as he's inviting you to give up your anger, as he's inviting you, encouraging you to use that gift that you're kind of afraid other people even know about. It's not difficult, but it is hard. Because it requires us trusting. And love can kind of be easy, but trust is always a beast. Trust is always hard. This is what it looks like to live by the Spirit. Again, verse 15 to 17. You didn't receive a spirit that makes you a slave to fear. You're not a slave to fear anymore. So don't be afraid. You're a slave to the spirit of the living God, the same one who raised Jesus from the dead, the same one who condemned sin so that you and I might flourish, the same God who longs to see his people serve in the capacity that he offered through his son. I want to share a little bit about what this looks like in my life for the next few moments. My hope is that Um, you get a picture of just like the gut-wrenching, I don't know, hopefully you don't get like a picture of just what a terrible person I am, but just what like the gut-wrenching process of trusting the Holy Spirit looks like. About uh, three years ago, I was a part of um, something at our church called Blessed Redlands and had the opportunity to serve at a local elementary school called Lagonia Elementary. It's a school on the north side of town. It's the oldest elementary school in Redlands. And it's been there um, and it, for, I don't know how many years somebody could tell me, but it's been there for a long time. Our church just recently, in the last six years, uh, started uh, serving there more. And um, a few years ago, I started, uh, was there in Blessed Redlands. And then the following year, um, our staff sat around and Pastor Scott, after a conversation, with somebody had invited us to think about how as a church community we might um, serve the school. We have some amazing folks in this community who teach and administer at schools, others who are counselors, and we really feel it's a calling of this church particularly to care for kids. If you don't know about an organization called Mexican Christian Children's Aid, a lot of the founding members and people who are still involved in that are part of this community. And we see it as part of the DNA of the river, to care for kids. And so this was one more opportunity for us as a community to do that. And so um, I said, I don't really have any gifts that I, like, I can't really play music. I play music, but it's not pretty. Um, I can't dance. I dance, but it ain't pretty. Um, 
you know, I'm not like the smart, I, I just don't have anything that's like this one thing. But I said, but I love to play. I love to play. So I would love to play with students at, at, um, you know, at lunchtime. So let's do like sports. So we started doing intramurals. So there's a number of University of Redlands students now who help us as a church do this intramural program. It's really cool, but that's not the point. What, the point was that every week I would show up and they would say, give the reason why you're here. And I started to write, because we love Lagonia. Right? God loves this place. He loves its people. And, and I love Lagonia. Just like I love the river. And so I started to write that. And what happened as I wrote it was I started to believe it. And after like a year or two, I really was believing this statement that I was writing. I love this school. I love the people. Now, I also love Smiley, which is close to my house, and the people there. I also love Redlands Christian, where I've taught and just have been incredibly blessed by. I love Arrowhead Christian, another place where I've taught and been blessed by, and whose students um, inspire and challenge me. But I started writing this, and something in me shifted. A little bit later, uh, it was May, and um, I couldn't get rid of this nagging sense that God was inviting me to do more than just kind of show up at the school. I come from a family where we love our firstborns. We love our firstborns. My father was a firstborn, um, and he was beloved by his parents, and I was a firstborn, and I was beloved by my parents, as were the second and third, but... I have a firstborn, and I love my firstborn. And in this process last May, I felt God inviting me to have my firstborn be a part of this school. Now, here's why that's a challenge to me. One, this may be no big deal for you, but it was for me. I come from a family where for generations we have been Christian education people. I believe deeply in Christian education. I think it changes people's lives, and it's really, really good. In a sense, it's a no-brainer for us, except for the fact that I didn't feel called to have our firstborn in the school that she was a part of this year. I felt God was inviting us to have our daughter be a part of Lagonia Elementary. At the same time, My wife was teaching, and I've been teaching for 10 years. She's always wanted to be a Spanish teacher. She's always wanted to teach at a Christian school. And prior to this year, it's just been the greatest thing for her. She loves teaching. She's gifted for it. Students learn well from her. She's a phenomenal teacher. It makes sense. It's something that we can go, duh, no-brainer, except for she felt called to a season of of something different, of rest. She wasn't going to teach and didn't feel called back to that classroom. And this was challenging for us because it meant um, hurting people that we love. It meant saying no to things that we were passionate about, saying no to things that we even believed in, except that for our family at that point, it did not seem to be where God was calling us. Fast forward a little bit. As we had conversations with people in 
the Redlands Christian School community and Arrowhead Christian School community, there was a dream that was kind of emerging in different people's hearts and minds and lives. It was happening in administrators. It was happening in people on the board. It was happening in parents. And the idea was, what would it look like to have a Christian day school that was taught in a different language? To see little kids from this community fluent in in Spanish and learning and being educated in this different language, being educated um, 90% of the day in Spanish. What would that look like? As we shared and listened to other people's dream for this thing, um, something happened. There were, my wife literally got a call to come help this program emerge, to help this program get off the ground. And so the decision that we had made earlier in the year that she had made to not teach Spanish um, made a lot more sense. And earlier this year, she got hired by Redlands Christian to pursue this kind of new thing, this school where where students would 90% of the day be educated in a foreign language so that they might love others who previously they would be unable to love. Then something else happened. We... um, increasingly felt like we wanted to have a full family. So we had a bunny, and then we got a dog from the Langleys. And our house was really full. Three kids, it's like 1,250 square feet, and a dog. Man, I'd say go for the bunny if you're thinking about this. But we felt called to have like a full you know, for life to be overflowing, to, for our home to be a place where it's chaotic, but it's a good chaos. And we also felt like we, we shouldn't stop with having kids. So we said, no, we're not going to stop with three. We're not going to stop there. We don't feel, we feel like God's inviting us into like, so anyways, that's my way of saying Julia's pregnant. And here's the weird thing, and the thing that's hard is she's due in July, and the program is in August. And so we don't know exactly what that looks like. And honestly, it scares me, because I hate to disappoint people. I, I think of myself as a relatively good employee. Scott, yeah, My wife is a phenomenal employee. She is a tremendous gift to wherever she chooses to like implement her time. And it's hard as a family for us walking through that because we don't want to disappoint people. But if God has called us, if he has called you, then he will equip you. We're not bound by a spirit of fear, but by one of sonship, whereby God says, you are my children, heirs to everything I have. It's all yours. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you that you have set us free to walk with a clear conscience in relationship to you. Thank you for the tugs and the nudges, nudges which invite us 
into a life that before we, we wouldn't have been able to imagine. Thanks for the ways that you're working all around the world to bring glory to yourself, to set people free through the work of Christ and the power of the Spirit. God, we pray that this would continue to be a community that's led by your Holy Spirit, that this would continue to be a people who are inspired by your love and who continue to faithfully share that with the world. Give us the courage to do that and the wisdom to know where you're leading. In Jesus' name, amen.